and I'm enjoying it. I hope you all are as well. Kevin, front, front and center. You're there, man. You are there. <laughs> well, you'll help me out. Okay, oh, I'm going to uh, start us in prayer and see how far we can go today. Um, dear God, we just uh, we love you and we love your word. And you have made it available to us, Lord. We are so blessed to just be able to reach up on a bookshelf and pull it down, Lord. Let us never, never take it for granted what we have in this country. Father, we, we seek the truths that are in your word. We see that uh, you're there and you talk to us on so many levels, Lord, and it's all truth. And I just uh, I want to lift you up today, Lord. I pray uh, that you are honored today, Lord, that you are blessed and that you would guide us, that your Holy Spirit would guide us through this lesson this morning. In Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. I'll catch us up a little bit. We um, started Ruth chapter 3 last week, and uh, we saw it was the end of uh, the harvest of the barley and the wheat, and uh, Ruth and Naomi are sitting together, and I think that uh, I think that Ruth has probably seen there's some, excuse me, I think that Naomi has seen that there's some chemistry there between Boaz and Ruth. And she's, she's thinking it's time to get the ball rolling, I believe. And, and so she, uh, she tells Ruth that she's got a plan. Ruth, uh, Ruth needs security and she needs, she needs to be married. And she needs to come out of mourning. And, uh, and Naomi has a plan. It sounds a little risky at some levels. And, uh, but, you know, uh, she, she believes that these two, uh, Ruth and Boaz, are good for each other. And the best of all, uh, Boaz is uh, a near kinsman to her deceased husband, Elimelech. And so, I mean, it just works out in so many good ways. So her plan then is to, uh, she tells Ruth to clean up and put on her best and smell good. And her plan is to go down to the threshing floor. Uh, that evening, Boaz would be there. All of his crop would have been uh, uh, threshed, and, uh, and it needed to be winnowed. And so uh, his turn had come up to use this gathering place, this threshing floor. And it's a big deal. It's kind of a festive event, and people, his employees are there, and, and people come and join in, and there's, there's eating and, and joy and just kind of a gay time. And they work uh, there on the side of a hill because that's where the wind will come and pick that grain up and uh, take away the chaff and let the, let the grain come back down so they can gather it. So by the end of the evening, well into the night, into the dark, they would uh, have a huge pile of grain. And then the men for security would, would sleep around the grain, usually with their head facing into the pile and their feet uh, facing out just to protect it all. So uh, Boaz has gone and found himself a place at the end of the heap which is a little more secluded, which is great for this plan that Naomi has because uh, Ruth uh, is supposed to go down, follow where Boaz is, go down, uncover his legs, his feet, and lay there and wait for him to wake up. And then he's supposed to tell her what to do. And so Ruth uh, gets her courage up. Really, I think she gets her faith up. And I believe Naomi... And Ruth are really seeking the Lord's favor in this. They believe uh, that this is the right way to go, but they need, uh, they need God to follow through. 
And so that's what they're doing. They're, they're putting their faith on the line. And so uh, Ruth does this. And sometime during the night, of course, Ruth, of course, Ruth and Naomi have not slept, but Boaz wakes up. He looks down and he sees a figure there, and it's a woman. He says, who is it? Who are you? And uh, so we're going to pick up. We got about this for last time. Um, Ruth identified herself in the verse before this, and she, she basically laid out uh, her request. Uh, she was making it known that she was available. Would he marry her? Would he cover her, protect her? And also, since he's a near relative, would he redeem uh, both Ruth and Naomi? And then, you know, it's kind of in his court, and she has to wait and see what his response is. And it's good. And so we read uh, in uh, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, Boaz says, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter, speaking to Ruth. You've shown your last kindness to be better than your first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do whatever you ask for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. So we looked at the first part of that and discussed uh, some of the, we made comments on on what was uh, transpiring there. And then we got down to this last part where he says he will redeem her. And basically, it's, uh, she has this great reputation. She's a woman of excellence. And it's almost as if she is worthy of redemption, is what he is saying there. And I, this is where we stopped last week. And I said, you know, we need, to, we need to stop. We need to think about this before we go on. This is peculiar, right? If we're looking for illustrations in this book, this is a little bit different. And so I said I would... I would take us on a rabbit trail. It's a rabbit trail, but, you know, it's necessary. About two weeks ago, Heather and Jeff, when we were talking uh, in Chapter 2, made a comment because uh, there we, we talked about Boaz being attracted to Ruth based on her external beauty. One of the features was, one of the attractions was her external beauty. You, could, you couldn't deny it. And... Uh, but they had a problem with that, and they said, this, uh, you know, this, this is not us. This doesn't really sound just right. And I believe that that's correct. Uh, you know, when we're speaking about individual people coming to the Lord to become believers, when we first come to Christ, the church, when we first come to Christ, uh, that, that, is, that doesn't sound right. We're not beautiful and we're not worthy. So the point is valid and it's true and we can find scripture supporting that in the Old Testament uh, for, for example Ezekiel 16 the first 14 verses speaks of God finding uh, uh, Israel portrayed as a helpless uh, kind of a uh, despised baby in a puddle of uncleanliness and he bends down he picks it up picks her up he cleans her up you know and in the New Testament, before we're saved, we read in Ephesians 2.1 that we were dead in trespasses and sins. You know, and dead is not beautiful. And so we see the dilemma then come up again here in chapter 3, verse 11 of, of the book of Ruth, when Boaz acknowledges that uh, Ruth being a woman of character is essentially worthy of redemption, redeeming. And we should make no mistake when Christ saves us from our sins and gives us eternal life, we are not worthy in any, in any respect. So, you know, I had to deal with this. And I was reminded of a, a great sermon by J. Vernon McGee. 
back when he was a pastor in California, and he had a, he had a sermon titled, Grace in Three Time Zones. And that teaching is equally applicable to grace, but also to salvation and to redemption. So just for purposes of clarity, let me just give a brief definition of salvation and redemption. Salvation is that new birth of our spirit in regeneration by the Holy Spirit, which comes by grace through faith and gives us eternal life. Redemption is the cost paid by Christ through His work on the cross in a sacrificial substitutionary death. And that's in order to purchase our salvation. You know, and as much as a person who is saved has been redeemed, and if that person is redeemed, he's been saved, I kind of use the terms interchangeably. Now back to the, the sermon, the three time zones. McGee was talking about past, present, and future salvation and redemption. Past, present, and future. Let me explain. Now, it's true that in the past... When we trusted Christ by faith, He saved us. And He saved us from the penalty of sin. And there was nothing beautiful and there was nothing worthy about us. Titus uh, 3.5 states this, He saved us, that is Christ saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Then... So that's time zone one. Next, time zone two. In the present, in our daily walk, in the present, we are being saved through the process of sanctification and most importantly through the washing of the Word of God. And we are being saved daily by the power of sin. Everybody in here knows this. We deal with this every day. I think that 1 Corinthians 1.18 will speak to that. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then third, there is some time into the future when we actually receive our resurrection, our glorified bodies. You know, that's going to be at the rapture for the church. Sometime in the future, we're going to have that completion of our salvation. It's called inheriting our salvation. And that, from that time forward, we will be uh, saved from the very presence of sin. Hebrews 1.14, speaking of angels, says, are, uh, are they, not all ministering spirits, sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So we will inherit salvation at some point. So, going back to the book, we need to remember that when Boaz first meets Ruth, She's already a believer. Remember, she said as much in chapter 1 in her commitment, her dedication statement. And then uh, Boaz confirmed the very same thing in his prayer over in chapter 2. Verse 12, he said, You have sought refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. Now, if we were in the New Testament, as a believer, Ruth would be a new creation, a new creation in Christ. Admittedly, though, she is saved at a time before that, at the time of the book of Ruth which would make her included among the Old Testament saints and not the church. But that does not preclude her from being an illustration of the church for us. Think about it. And she's a Gentile. She's coming out of Moab, which represents the world. And she is trusting in God, the God of Israel. 
you know, the Greek word for church is ecclesia. Ecclesia. It means a called out body, which means called out from the world. And as we're going to see, Ruth is going to be the bride of Boaz. The church is also pictured as a betrothed bride of Christ in more than one place. Paul says to believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, excuse, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, he says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a virgin. So then the question becomes, in these illustrations here between Ruth and Boaz, does God, does, how does God, how does Christ view saved believers in their daily walk in that second time zone? And when we look at that, we need to also take into account our positional, uh, practical states. You know, positionally speaking, from the moment that we're saved, we can read in Ephesians that God has raised us up with Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 6. God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms of Christ. That, that's our position right now. And this position would also make us just as beautiful as the very righteousness of God. Listen, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made us who knew no sin to... He made Him to, who knew no sin to be sin for our, on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That is Christ. And I believe that this is probably then the picture that we're looking at in Ruth uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3. And I hope this doesn't just muddy the water but helps out. Any, any comments? Yeah, I think Proverbs 31, it, that term that is used in, in uh, Ruth 3 is, in my translation, I think it's noble character. And it's... <clears throat> The same word is used in Proverbs 31 right. from verses 10 through the end of 31. It's the very end right. of Proverbs 31. And to me, it seems to be about the dependence on God. Someone who is trusted and, and then depending. Trusting and very depending good. On God. And it's, it's uh, very interesting when you read that Proverbs section. It is. That's one of my favorite sections, Proverbs 31. Jeff? Yeah, and just, just to be <coughs> completely clear... Heather and I talked about this, and I talked this about with another, a couple other people anyway. <clears throat> you know, we talk about what what Boaz saw in, in Ruth, and whether she was physically attractive, whether the world would have said this woman was beautiful or mm -hmm. not, is, is not clear from the scripture. What is clear is she had godly character. And to a godly man, a woman with godly character stands out. And to him, Amen. that is beauty. Amen. You know, I need one other disclaimer. The, this book, it, there are so many picture illustrations, thoughts, you know, words and phrases in here, and they are so well connected, it would be impossible to see what God has in here in the way. And what I'm saying, that there is not only one way to see the illustrations and the applications in this book. But you have sent me kind of down a track that I'm going to continue to follow going forward. So it's good. Uh, then let's get back into it. Ruth uh, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. This is Boaz speaking to Ruth. He says, Now it is true, I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, 
then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So we see there's good news, but there's somewhat bad news as well. Everything in the story was moving along in a you know, happily ever after ending, and then Boaz informs Ruth that there's a potential problem. Our hearts kind of sink. Mine does when I read that. That there's a closer redeemer, someone in front of Boaz, which, by the way, should tell us something. He, he has already researched this matter, right? He has looked into it. He knows the man is there. Naomi didn't tell her there was another man. She may have known it, but he knows it, okay? And, uh, and this would have been long before Ruth made her claim. And which brings up another point. I just love the way that an honest man, a man of valor, that same word, Hael, how he proceeds. Everything is by the law. Everything is above board. Everything is beyond, beyond reproach. He's a picture of the Lord. You know, we have just like our holy God, He is just and the justifier, right? And He does that so that the accuser has no grounds for any claims against us. Listen, uh, in Romans 3, uh, 21 through 22 and 26, says, But now, apart from the law... The righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Witness, that means they have nothing, no objection to it. The law and the prophets can't object to what Jesus uh, did. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And Jesus Himself said, in Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. This is why there's no protest from the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. He fulfilled what the prophets foretold about a Savior coming. And He, fu he fulfilled the law, which is the character of God. He did everything required to make Him beyond reproach. But there's good news for Naomi, right? Or for Ruth and Naomi, one way or the other. She, uh, Ruth and Naomi, will have a redeemer. Uh, if you remember at the, end, at the beginning of chapter 2, we saw that there were two major needs for these women, these widows, and that was food and family. Their food need was answered by God's provision through the kindness of Boaz, and we saw that by the end of chapter 2. They were going to have food. And now, at the, uh, in chapter 3, Boaz is giving his word before the Lord that either by himself or this nearer kinsman, Ruth and Naomi will be redeemed. And I don't think anybody's sleeping for the rest of the night here. All right, let's pick up verse 14. Speaking of Ruth, So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. If you remember back in... Uh, Verse 4 of chapter 3, I mentioned something about the Hebrew words uh, being a little racy. I'll just tell you this. Uh, that, the, that, that was only a problem for someone who'd let their evil imagination run wild. Uh, that was not a problem for Ruth, and it was not a problem for Boaz. These two leave the threshing floor with the same purity in which they entered. They, uh, in their humanity, these two people are examples of pure love. And I believe that they are moral equivalents of each other. When Boaz tells Ruth to leave quietly while it's still dark, he's doing so for her reputation, to protect her reputation. 
He knew that people would talk. And he understood that assumption is the lowest form of communication. He understood the mindset that is expressed in Proverbs uh, 18.2. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Okay. Any comments there? All right. Verse 15, chapter 3. Again, Boaz said, Give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. I think that's about 60 pounds. I could not do that. Okay. And so he gives a, a gift of grain to Ruth. And, uh, but it's actually meant for Naomi. It's going to give Naomi some assurance that he's serious about uh, his role here. But I believe there's a picture, a message that goes well beyond that. Uh, the Holy Spirit has not told us right here in this verse, but Boaz must have leaned over and whispered something into Ruth's ear. And we need to read ahead to see what that was. Verses 16 and 17. When she, Ruth, came to her mother-in-law, Naomi said, How did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. So he did say something to her. When Naomi says, How did it go? That's probably not the best translation of the Hebrew here. Those words in her question are really the same uh, words that Boaz spoke when he saw uh, Ruth at his, his, at his feet. Who are you? Naomi's asking her, who are you? Who, whose are you? Are you going to be Mrs. Boaz? I mean, she wants to know. And now we find then there was a special message that Boaz had for Naomi. And the Holy Spirit made us wait until right here to, hear, to find out what he said. Basically, he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Why must we wait till Naomi is in the scene for this statement to come out? What's the uh, significance of this statement? Where have we seen that word empty before in the book of Ruth? Naomi returned empty. At the end of chapter 1, as she's coming into Bethlehem, her words were, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Right? when it seemed like God had forgotten Naomi to her, uh, that he was far away when she was at her lowest point and feeling empty. God had already a plan in place. He was already sovereignly at work. What, what Naomi didn't see back then in chapter 1, but what she's seeing now is that Ruth is a picture of something. The message that Boaz had for Ruth, uh, for Naomi, is this. You're not empty. You're not empty. You never were empty. And in Ruth, she was, Ruth was standing by Ruth when, when she walked back in and said she was empty. She'd committed her life to her. You know? And she was not probably, probably very valuable in Naomi's eyes at that moment. But what she didn't see was this picture. Ruth is the fullness of God's love, His has said, in so many ways that Naomi couldn't have imagined back then. But she's starting to see it now. Last verse, chapter 3, verse 18. So now, uh, then she said, Wait, 
my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Some versions say, sit and wait, as if she's so anxious that she's pacing the room. And I expect she was. Uh, So the the, uh, curtain is going to close on this chapter. We still don't know what the ultimate outcome is going to be. And by the way, this is the last time we're going to hear Ruth and Naomi speak for the rest of the book. Uh, But the Holy Spirit has really captured our attention in this book, hasn't he? I find it very interesting that in chapter 3 it began with a plan from Naomi. She was going to take the bull by the horns and uh, she was taking charge of this this situation. She decided what Ruth needed to do and it looked like Naomi was in control. Uh, But then Ruth had to go through the plan. She followed Naomi's instructions, right? She, She had to physically carry out the plan. And then it looked like Naomi was in control. Excuse me, Ruth was in control. And then Ruth, she's laying there at Boaz's feet waiting for him to wake. What is he going to say? He wakes up and she tells him why he's there and she's waiting for his response and Boaz is now in control, right? And now we're at the end of the chapter. Boaz must approach the closer kinsman and give him the first option to redeem. And we have to wait and see what happens. And we do see, and it really, it really has been the Lord who's been in control, right? The whole time. Any comments? Yeah, this, so there's so much going on here, but like the comments about Proverbs um, and the, uh, the virtuous woman. I've got a note in my, my Bible back from college talking about how the Jewish Bible actually arranges Ruth after Proverbs. Right. So you have the last thing you read from Proverbs is the virtuous woman and then right. transition into Ruth. And then that combined with this section here, this reminds me of the parable of the treasure found in the field. Okay. To then, like you rebury it and go and basically, like at whatever cost sell everything you've purchased that field. But this also makes me think about like the the idea of the virtuous woman. It it talks about her character, but it doesn't ever mention her looks. And that makes me think back to like I'm sure that a lot of us at some point in the past have been attracted to someone, and then after the passage of years, their looks versus their character is contrasted, and you think. That was a close call. Like, <laughs> because, because so much of that virtuous woman, I think especially for Boaz, right, whether or not he's had, you know, like bad run-ins with relationships or whatever, that's besides the point. But for him to appreciate her character and to understand that her character is not just her willpower, but it's a reflection of her relationship with the Lord. And that has far more value like, the, the reason that she is worth pursuing is that where she's at, she has nothing. Well, then why work hard? And that is, that is a, a reflection of the Lord's character speaking through her. So his pursuit of her, I think, makes completely sense, even if she's homely, because mm-hmm. she has that integrity in, in all circumstances, right? And to be gleaning right. in a field, like, who are you performing for? Like, nobody cares, right? And I think at that point to see this, it also makes sense that he wouldn't go any further because he sees the evidence of her character. So for him to pursue that beyond a certain point would be insulting and it would almost be forceful in a way that for her to have that character and for him to pursue her beyond a certain point, he understands like that's, that's going to be icky. Very uh, good. As the way it's received. 
and and I and I love that. Like this, there's this mutual respect and dependency that's already here, and the way that it plays out, I think is, is I think it's it's really incredible. And like that that ending about wait until you see how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until he has it settled today. Right. Just that statement. I love like the the implication of. Like all of the sweating and running that Boaz does for the rest of that day, yeah. while trying to be like, keep it cool, keep it right. cool. Like, no, nothing. Be still, on. be quiet. You know that I am the Lord. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, if you don't want, like, I can just I remember. Can this yeah. is what it's gonna cost. Yeah. Right. It's like, I know you're gonna go like on a journey. journey. You're gonna like such a deal. Yeah. <laughs> that's. I mean, he, he does play it very cool. Yeah. Well, that's that's great, great points, I, and especially that. Uh, the, the arrangement of the Hebrew Bible does put it that way. I mean, it's, it's supposed to not so subtly point for, to this woman, yeah. uh, Proverbs 31, as well, you know, and, and going in and seeing it's the character, you know. If you've been married for any number of years, you know, you go back, I was looking at pictures last night, and yeah, those are okay-looking people there. We don't look like that, you know, anymore. And, but you know what? I love my wife now more than the day I married her because I know her character. Yeah. But the thing that stands out to me at the end of Proverbs is the character comes from the dependence on God. Right. Not yeah. from the individual. I agree. You know? And that's the character I'm talking about, too. For us, you know, which I think is extremely important. Okay. Which, you know, I think I, I share the same concern with you sometimes when I read stuff. Mm -hmm. And it talks about... Um, you know, I love your law and the Psalms and things like that. And it's yes. Like, sometimes it's a bit scary because it's like I don't love God enough, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think that the thing that encourages me that it's is that it's God's love for me yeah. that is is where it comes from, not from my deservedness. Mm -hmm. You know. Very good. All right, I'm going to get you guys reeled in. Uh, <laughs> chapter four. And there's a little bit of an introduction here I want to say. You're going to love this going forward, I believe, uh, because of the application. And now we're coming to the climax of the books, and there's important issues that have not been resolved. Remember, the book is historical. It's not fiction. But it does read like a love story. It reads like a novel. There's probably more practical application for us here in the fourth chapter than in the other three. In Ruth chapter 4, listen, it's all about redemption deliverance by the payment of a price. But we need to, I want to continue in this same vein of the three time zones. You know, for the believer, the Christian, our initial redemption, our, our coming to the Lord, and our salvation, that's completely past tense. We've been redeemed, and nothing can ever change that. Jesus Christ us out of our lost condition. Ephesians 1.7, in Him we have redemption through His blood for the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Romans 6.22 and 23, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right now, eternal life, right now. But as we live our lives now, in this second time zone, in the present, there's also an ongoing practical redemption that is occurring. Yes, we've been freed from the penalty of sin, but we still need to be delivered daily, daily from the power of sin. In chapter 4, there's a question 
There is a conflict and there is a struggle uh, over where Ruth and Naomi's redemption will come from. And by illustration, I think that we may find answers to our own questions about our own ongoing deliverance. So as we move through chapter 4 in this discussion, I'm going to kind of be moving between the storyline, what I'll call the human level, and also the practical application level as we go. I may go in and out of it, you know, but I'm going to try to keep it separated so you'll know. I think you will. So let's go ahead and read uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and Boaz took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Of course, Boaz goes up. He was on the threshing floor, the side of the hill. He's going up to the city gate. This would be like going to the courthouse today. All types of business were conducted at the city gate, and that really makes sense. So many of the men were involved in agriculture and farming, and so their homes would be inside the city, and they'd go out uh, to their fields during the day. Therefore, it's likely then that all the landowners and their employees would probably pass those gates pretty much on a daily basis. Also, yes? Yeah, also the men of the city, anybody involved with government would congregate at these gates so they could be there if anything important was going to take place. Incidentally, all the city records would be there as well. Now, Boaz is anxious, you can imagine, to conduct his very important business, and he would have arrived very early so as not to miss this closer kinsman. Soon his patience pays off and his, his nearer kinsman walks by. Now, I'm sure that Boaz knows his name. I mean, they're closely related relatives. Uh, but here in the text, we read that he's called friend. And in the Hebrew, it's actually an idiom for the word such and such or so and so. It's like John Doe. It's not a name. If you go to the Greek, to the Septuagint, they have a dash, and it says name withheld. Now, we would call that a redaction. All right. So this is basically what it is. It's not just friend, okay? It's like name withheld. And for some reason, then, the Holy Spirit wants, us, wants this near kinsman to remain anonymous, maybe because He wants us to figure out who or what He is or what He represents. Now, we know that Boaz is willing to redeem Ruth, but the first option goes to this mysterious other person. The first option goes to this other person. Also, we know that Ruth loves Boaz because she basically pledged her life to him there at his feet. And there is this ongoing struggle over where redemption comes from. Okay? So how about believers now in our daily walks? Do we ever feel like this? Where our redemption is going to come from? Uh, I mean, how do we live this Christian life once we're saved? To whom or to what do we look for for daily redemption? I mentioned in the very first uh, lesson that we had in the introduction to the book that uh, one level to study this on is the practical application level. And the reason was it would help us to see our relationship with the Lord Jesus. I think we're going to see that as we go forward. So what I'm, what I'm asking is really this. Is there someone or something that we might give the chance to redeem us daily before we let the Lord do it, like a right of first refusal? You said our own, our own us, morality. us. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, you're you're there. You're there. Uh, but if you th- if you follow that, 
it's our own morality based upon what as a Christian? Where we're, what do we? How do, how do you? What do you? What do you try to fulfill? What's your What's your standard? The law. That's it. The law. Uh, you know, both both lead to the law, and so I believe that is what we're talking about. This unnamed kinsman is actually a picture of the law of God, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. Uh, and this should become more apparent as we continue through here. Now, you, you'll, if you recall, as we've gone through the book, we have seen law, right, and grace, kind of right next to each other, every all all the way along, in the gleaning, you know, and, and all those uh, other uh, things that we looked at in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But now let's keep going. I want to read uh, verses 3 and 4. And as I read here, I want you to pay attention to Boaz. He, he pretty much kind of slow plays his offer to the kinsman redeemer. The information that he lays out is kind of slow played. You know, what I'm saying is he's not just laying everything out on the line to start with. Okay? So we're going to look at the human level and the application level as we go. Then Boaz said to the closest relative... Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. That means there's elders and a group of people already gathering. Uh, If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it. And I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Where it says Naomi has to sell, in the literal, the, the tense of the verb is, is sold. Naomi has sold her property. Remember, we talked about that uh, back when they left for, uh, for Moab from Bethlehem 10 years earlier. But technically, the way God gives land, uh, technically it's still their land. They would get it back at the Jubilee. The catch is somebody in her family has to be alive. If the family line in, ends, then it's not her land anymore. Okay. So Boaz, notice he begins laying out the information. The first piece he lays out is that there, and in it there's no mention of Ruth. Not yet. Did you notice that? Nothing about Ruth. And we should also understand, understand that the exchange now that's going on between the elders and the two kinsmen is at the gate. And as it's unfolding, people are starting to gather. This is a big event. You know, and they're gathering around, and the crowd is beginning uh, to get larger, I would say. Uh, now, looking at this just on the human level, the deal before this near kinsman, this is a great deal. It's very attractive. Uh, and that's from a, just an investment point of view. Uh, he's probably thinking, well, Naomi, she's not going to have any kids. And, uh, you know, all I have to do is support her in her old age. You know, what I gain from this property at least the use of it, much more crops. I mean, my, my profits should go way up. This should really be, uh, you know, a no-brainer for me. And so it is, from a, uh, it was a, just from a good uh, business sense. It's a good deal. And he says, I'll redeem it. But let's look at it from the applicational view, okay? How it applies to people, let's say, in general. Uh, Boaz says that there are only two ways that Elimelech's property... And by the way, that which comes with it, Ruth, is going to be redeemed. Only two ways to be redeemed is what he's saying in general. The nearer kinsman then has the right, or, the, or Boaz himself has the right. Uh, there are no other options. The law has the right, or Christ has the right. And we know that's the same with all people in our initial salvation, right? 
There are only two ways of being redeemed and brought back to God. We either believe the work of the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross, or potentially we can live in total obedience to the law of God, not breaking one single command for our entire lives. Only one person has ever done that. And so there is really only one choice, and that is Jesus. But the illustration or picture here in the book may be speaking of something more than just our initial salvation. And I believe that's the picture that has the greater application for everybody in this room. Uh, because of this ongoing process in our Christian lives, we call it our walk, and uh, such that we must look at where our continual redemption comes from on a daily basis. Yes, we've already been saved from the penalty of sin, but what about our ongoing deliverance from the power of sin? And I'm talking about that daily sin which continues to indwell us. The question then is, for believers, having been saved by God's grace, do we now live by our best efforts to keep God's law? Or is it also trusting Jesus, just as we did when we first met Him? Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Continue to do it. I chose the amplified version of Galatians 1 through uh, 3 of, verse, uh, of chapter 3 because it just really uh, states it so understandably. It says, O oh, you foolish and thoughtless and superficial Galatians, who has bewitched you that you would act like this, to whom right before your very eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified in the gospel message, this is all that I want to ask you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit as a result of obeying the requirements of the law? Or was it the result of hearing the message of salvation with faith, believing it? Are you so foolish and senseless, having begun your new life by faith with the Spirit? Are you now being perfected and reaching spiritual maturity by the flesh, that is, by your own works and efforts to keep the law? How clearly said. And so the closer Redeemer's response is what? I will redeem it. And He fully intends to redeem it. That's what he says. This is a great picture of the Mosaic Law. There's nothing wrong with the law. Nothing wrong with the law of God. If it could redeem us, it, it would do it. But listen to what Paul says in Romans 7, uh, verses 7 and 12. Uh, what then shall we say? Is the law sin? Is it bad? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have been mindful of sin if not for the law. For I would not have been aware of coveting in the law. If the law had not said, do not covet, so then the law is holy and the commandments are holy, righteous, and good. There is nothing wrong with the law. The law is perfect and holy and it would redeem us only if it could, if it only could. Mm -hmm. But we're going to see there's a major problem with the law. In the book of Ruth, the problem is Ruth. The problem is Ruth. Any comments? Judeo-Christian. Yeah, the Judeo-Christian, but she was making a comment. This is out in the open. No closed doors here. What, a, what an amazing picture. That it's a little harder to um, subvert justice when everybody's watching. It's a good way. I mean, they've got a great welfare system. They've got a good uh, judicial system, do they not? 
Everything Jesus Christ ever did was out in the open too. What? Especially when you think about, like, these are people that have watched you grow up. So if you try to pull a fast one, most of them are going to be like, no, 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 you're done, you're yeah. done. It's like, what? And like, no, 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 you're done. Accountability. Yeah. Yes. And, and just that, yeah, I think like that, that form of community, right, where your, your character is known, whether you want to know, want it to be known or not, like it is. And I think that's something that, like, we've, we've lost a lot with the abstraction that we're, we're judged based on evidence, which is not necessarily, like, synonymous with character. And so that's where some of the, the ruling also kind of goes out the door, because it's based on perception. Right. And that's why we, hold, we just hold our hands out in frustration when we see these cases going by. And where was justice served in any of this? It's like, go. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. No. But I think that's where you're, I think that's what, when you say the problem is root, mm -hmm. I think that's exactly it. The law has to be broken in order for, to justify through the law. Right. And that's, that's why it can't work, right? That's why yes, only this is the only, okay, you know. Perfect man. Right. You know, the, law, the law is here. The law is God's character. It cannot be compromised. It cannot be lessened. It can't allow us to come in. It can't love us in. Right? It had to be fulfilled. That's why we've it witnessed it. So there's no way to do that. And I think that's the picture of Ruth. Unless right? you have the one that did it. Exactly. Right. And he has to be perfectly a kinsman redeemer to, an, to a, be applicable to us. Right? That's the deal. They can't redeem their land, Naomi and Ruth. They have to have this one that can stand lawfully in the way to do it. Right? Okay. We're out of time. I think we have one more lesson. Uh, Kevin, will you close us?